Welcome to the Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Robin Cooper is a psychiatrist in California who has been active in looking at the interplay of climate changes and its impact on mental health. She is also part of a group known as the Climate Psychiatric Alliance. One of the areas that she speaks to is the impact of heat changes. These are critical issues for all of us and we need to address them and she kindly accepted our invitation to talk about these and and other issues. Dr. Cooper, thank you so much for joining us. I'm delighted to chat with you today about what I think is a really important public health issue. We agree. Let's begin with an overview question. How did you become interested in this topic? I have always been involved in issues of social justice, and those have an interplay with our field, with psychiatry and with mental health. That's just been a part of my life for a long time. Some 10 years ago, I met some friends, and they began to tell me about climate change and the impact. I was just stopped. I just was aghast. It was like being hit with, oh my God, this is really serious. And it became that I couldn't just periodically dip my toe into. It became something that really gripped me. It felt, in a way, life-changing. And I began to get involved with a number of political groups that were working on climate change issues. Primarily, I'm involved with Citizens Climate Lobby working on national legislation legislation on a carbon tax, one of the vehicles to decrease the impact of emissions warming planet. Through that work, there was a subcommittee dealing with health issues and climate change, and that seemed to be the place that I felt that I could make the greatest contribution. I discovered that in our field of mental health and psychiatry, psychiatry specifically almost had a complete silence about the impact of climate change on mental health and on health in general. I met a number of other psychiatrists around that time who thought the same and said, we psychiatrists need to have our voice be the voice that speaks to the particular psychiatric impacts of climate change. We were amazed that the psychologists were way ahead of us in understanding the emotional impact. At that point, I became involved with this small group and we formed this organization, Climate Psychiatry Alliance, specifically with the mission and goal to understand more completely the ramifications for psychiatry and for mental health and for the population of people that we feel responsible for treating and responding to. Through that effort, some four or five years ago, I have learned a tremendous amount and been really amazed that the mental health impacts are quite diverse, quite significant. They go way beyond that I'm worried about climate change. And they're quite deep and pretty significant, extremely important for psychiatrists and mental health professionals to understand to join with our other medical colleagues in the issues that really relate to advocacy around how we can have an impact on turning the direction. Fair enough. One of the things that you talk about is heat. And as I was thinking about this, perhaps we should do a little bit of a separation between a discussion of a heat wave versus a general rise in the temperature of our planet. 
behind the question that you're asking is the awareness that we are having a continual increase in global temperatures being documented. And year after year, there are new records being broken about the levels of heat. My basic sense is that the extreme heat or periods of heat waves are the times that people have the most impact and that we are seeing these spikes all around the world in heat waves or periods of extreme heat. It is true that the climactic conditions are changing and that general areas are having higher temperatures, but they're regional. I think that's one of the things that is really important to know, that climate change and the heat impacts are not uniformly experienced, but are quite differentiated and localized. There is some literature and some awareness that humans do assimilate within a range, a new heat range, and can become assimilated to higher heats. But when we're talking about impacts on human behavior and functioning, it's really these spikes or these heat waves of extreme heat that are of significance. People may find it odd or hard to accept an association between heat waves and the suicide rate, and I know that you've written a little bit about that. Tell us, if you would, though, what are indeed some of the specific impacts on our psychological functioning as a result of the heat? This was really amazing to me. There is international literature around the increase in suicide that occurs between heat waves during increases in temperature in a locality. And the earliest stuff that I was reading were about the suicide epidemic in northern India that occurs at times of really extreme heat, but they always coincide also with the harvest period for the farmers. So there's a confluence, both the impacts of direct heat, but also the extreme responses and depression and shame that farmers in the rural areas of India were experiencing. This is a culture where to not be able to provide for your family as a farmer is one that's associated with extraordinary shame. That seemed to me to be an indication of that confluence of both the heat extreme, but the impact on your role in your family and in your community, as well as the ability to sustain your livelihood and ability to provide for your family. And it connects with the droughts that are so connected with climate change and heat. But beyond that, a new study that came out of some researchers out of Stanford last year looked specifically on suicide rates in comparing increases that were due solely to heat and looked at areas in Mexico and the United States. What was remarkable about that study, I think methodologically it's quite a good study, because they were able to tease out the other kinds of variables that go into suicide behavior, like what I was talking about in India. They found increases in suicide just related to temperature. And the author speculates and wonders if this has something to do with an underlying heat impact on serotonergic function. Now, that's just a question of wondering. They did look at and indicated that this is just a heat-related impact, and they found actually a 0.7% increase in the United States and 1.2% in Mexico when there was one degree centigrade increase over a monthly average. The authors projected out that by 2050, there will be an additional 21,000 
additional suicides due to heat extremes alone, that additional number of suicides is greater than the impacts that we have on suicide prevention or gun control laws. This is not like just a small little blip. Was there any variable connected to the use or having access to air conditioning? That's also a remarkable finding and I think needs being replicated and looked at over and over. But this particular research project, the surprising result was access to air conditioners did not decrease the suicide rate. That's something that just intuitively doesn't feel right to me and goes against all of the kinds of ways of how do we think about preventing people's exposure and protecting themselves. There's a remarkable outcome of that study and it needs to be replicated and looked at more fully. You and I are both psychiatrists and we instinctively ask why? If the serotonin issue is a variable, again, why? What's going on? We're talking now about the impact of extreme heat on the general population. We're not talking now about just the psychiatric population. In parallel to the suicides, there have been reports of increased aggression and increased violence. And even our colloquial language kind of speaks to that. You know, we say we're getting hot under the collar and try to keep it cool, cool down. People are getting too feisty. There's actual scientific underpinnings to that. There are actually reports indicating that with one standard deviation increase in temperature, there is a 4% increase in interpersonal violence. And in my mind, that has really very significant impacts for child and domestic abuse that we need to pay attention to. There's also a 4% intergroup violence, so there's more war-like behavior until it gets very, very hot and then people just don't function. That there's aggression on the baseball field during Little League season when it's really hot. So there's something that is going on that makes people just beyond the crankiness that we all kind of feel when it's really hot that contributes to violence. In terms of other kinds of impacts, we don't think as well. There are decreased focus, there are decreased performance both academically and work during extreme heat. And I think this is incredibly important for the population of people that we work with because I think for people who are marginally able to function and think and make plans and execute plans, extreme heat periods put those people who function marginally and can do okay during normal periods of heat at much, much greater risk during heat extreme. Sleep is impacted. In order to have a good sleep quality and length of time of sleep, your internal core temperature needs to drop a bit. So sleep is impacted during extreme heat. The impacts of, of poor sleep are significant for functioning and for mood. And the same authors who did the suicide study also found that there were increased depressive kinds of language and feelings expressed in social media during periods of extreme heat. The impacts can be pretty pervasive. 
we know that small increases of the temperature of the ocean really does affect a lot of the biology of the living creatures, <laughs> to use the word, in the ocean. And we have to recognize, from what I'm understanding, that we too have a margin of acceptability in terms of changing of core temperatures, and it just changes things. What do we do as a psychiatrist in order to help people as they go through this? Before we go on what to do, the things that I've already talked about have to do with behavior and thinking and sleep regulation for general population. Psychiatric patients are particularly at risk and are considered one of the vulnerable populations. Psychiatric patients are seen in emergency rooms much more than a non-psychiatric population during heat waves. Pre-existing mental illness alone triples the risk of mortality during extreme heat. Our patients die and extreme heat can cause heat stroke and has its own mortality, but our patients are particularly at risk for that. There are some reasons for that. Our population of patients tends to be more medically ill, more sedentary. There's a greater comorbidity of obesity. Patients treated with psychopharmacologic medications and Almost all of the medications we use have an impact on both reducing the body's ability to maintain homeostatic mechanisms and cooling and sweating and thirst regulation. So the medications that we use can put our patients at greater risk. And there's even some indication that schizophrenic may have inherent to the disease itself an underlying impairment in thermal heat regulation. Understanding those things leads us to the question that you just asked, what do we as psychiatrists do? There's a lot we can do. We have to know the material and understand the risks for our patients. Also, street drugs also have an impact on both impairing the body's ability to cool itself. Substance abusers don't pay attention to what's going on around them and can't take adequate measures. So back to what we can do. We need to know these things. We need to have robust psychoeducation for our patients and families. We need to alert people. People need to be aware of the signs of heat stress, of early signs. They need to know how to protect themselves. I've actually made a flyer that teaches people you must pay attention early. You have to stay hydrated. You have to stay out of heat. You have to know where cooling centers are if there are extreme heats. Again, our patients tend to be more impoverished and not have the ability to have air conditioning. Our populations often live in inner cities where urban heat becomes more extreme and lasts longer because it's not the nighttime cooling. People also have to know about where they will find cooling centers, find shade. They need to understand the impact of their medications and have discussions with their providers about how to use those. That's a complex decision. I don't think there's enough literature that helps us to understand what are the better pharmacologic choices, so that's one area I think we need to learn more about. Psychiatrists who are involved in clinics and agencies and public health systems have to develop systems of closely monitoring vulnerable populations 
to engage caregivers and case managers to check in on vulnerable patients. That means a broad community education of the institutions, coordinating with the public health systems around community alerts and responsiveness and creating those collaborative relationships so that we can protect our patients. We need to have specific plans for how to deal with the homeless mentally ill who don't have places where they can retreat from the exposures. Public health educators who go into the community alert people. Many psychiatrists are remiss or are reluctant or uncomfortable getting involved in issues around advocacy. But it's my strong opinion that it is a public health duty for physicians to involve themselves with policy so that we can actually advocate with those leaders who make the policies for regulation and funding and laws that both address the root causes of the global warming, but also advocating for the programs to respond to this. I think we are really important voices, can have an incredibly important leadership role individually and collectively. More than just psychiatrists, in the medical world, we don't think enough about the impact. This issue has deep connections with disparities of health and the injustices that we see in the whole health system. Psychiatrists can get involved very directly in their district branches that are a part of the American Psychiatric Association, both in terms of more robust discussions and also the advocacy issues. We at the Climate Psychiatry Alliance would love people to join us in our efforts and then within our professional organization, the American Psychiatric Association, we have a caucus on climate change and mental health to take on that leadership. Part of our work has been successful in having the APA join the Medical Society Consortium on Climate and Health, which is an umbrella organization of most of the important medical associations in the country to work on these issues. Thank you for that. For those who are not in the medical world, there should be some comfort that there are organizations trying to blend their work and that for our members, as you said, to become more of the advocate and reach out and let's take our skills, let's take our concerns and actually bring them to our patients. Robin Cooper is a psychiatrist in California. and Dr. Cooper, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity.